Thank you for joining us here at John G. Lake Ministries and Dominion Life Church for another inspired teaching from God's Holy Scriptures by Curry Blake. We expect that this teaching will encourage, challenge, and strengthen you in your life. Now, may the eyes of your understanding be enlightened to know what the hope of His calling is for you. Without further delay, enjoy the teaching. Again, good morning. Good to see you again. We are going to get right into the Word this morning. We've got a lot going on. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> it has been amazing. Uh, you've heard about the JGLM app. The uh, growth has been good there. We are going to be phasing out our Facebook and the YouTube use just because they try to phase us out. And so we're going to phase them out. So that's what we're going to do. So um, they try to cancel us, we'll cancel them. So anyway, um, we're, we're going to start using the JGLM app and our website as our primary broadcast systems. And so if you've not downloaded the app, please do so. We're going to also have material on there that is not available anywhere else. Uh, there's a lot of things I have plans to do including some specific teachings and going on and being able to announce things and then just just go on live and do some teaching and take questions and that kind of stuff. So a lot of, a lot of things we're seeing happen. So anyway, this morning we're going to start. Now, if you've been around here a while or if you've been watching and listening for a while, <clears throat> I taught, what was it? It was some time ago now. It was, we called, well, I taught a session that I talked about the power of the proof and what else did I call it? Yeah, the, power, the promise, the power, and the proof. And it was about Acts 1, 2, and 3. And in Acts 1, Acts 1, 8, Jesus said, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So that's the promise. Then in Acts 2, we see the power show up. When they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began speaking in other tongues. The Holy Spirit descended upon them, dwelt uh, in, in them, we would say, and they started walking in the power. And now you'll have to notice, and this is the, the, the point here today, he, he filled 120 on the day of Pentecost. Now, there were only 11 disciples, 12 if you had Matthias, which they added in at some point, but uh, still that's only 11 or 12, but there was 120 that were filled. Now, even if you take the 12 of Jesus, include, you know, minus Judas plus Matthias, and then you take the 70 that, that were added that we don't even have their names, uh, which has always you know, impressed me, okay? Uh, I mean, right there, you've, you've already got 81 or 82 max, right? Because Jesus is already gone now. So you've still got another roughly 40 people, that we, and that's if all of, the, all of the 70 were there. And so this was, and yet Jesus appeared to 500, but they weren't all there, Right? And we don't know what they did. We don't know anything about them, per se. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because I want you to realize that the power of the Holy Spirit in the believer is he's there, number one, to recreate us, give us eternal life, to have us where we are secure in our uh, relationship with God. At the same time, we're also given this time, or this, uh, the message that they brought in the early days of the book of Acts, which many people call it the Acts of the Apostles. It is not the book of the Acts of the Apostles. It is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because there are a lot of stories in here about people who were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They weren't all apostles. 
as we said, the 120 were not all apostles. And so it's about the acts of the Holy Spirit through God's people. And so that's one of the things I want to bring out. So I'm just going to kind of walk you through this. And we're, we're not going to go through the whole book of Acts today, believe it or not. But uh, I just want to hit some of these things. And I'm going to show you just kind of a, a snapshot of early Christianity. Just get an idea because it was about the believers, not the apostles. Amen. Now, listen, we honor the apostles, both you know, past, present and future. Because they deserve honor, just as prophets do, and just as evangelists and pastors. And they all deserve honor, especially if they fulfill uh, their, their mission and their calling correctly. But we don't idolize them, and we don't make them special. Because Jesus is the only one special. Amen? Amen? And He fills us, right? So either everybody's special or nobody's special other than him, whichever way you want to look at it, and it doesn't matter to me either way because both could be accurate in that sense. Uh, just don't act special. That, that, that's the key. Even if you think you are special, just don't act special. All right? Now, so in Acts chapter 1, we have the promise. That's Acts 1-8. In Acts chapter 2, we have the power. That's Acts 2-4 and several other verses in Acts 2. And then in Acts chapter 3, we have the proof. And that was Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 16, where you see Peter and John going up to the temple to pray. And there's a lame man there, lame from his mother's womb. He laid there daily at the gate, beautiful. And Peter looks at him and says, look on us. And he takes him by the right hand. And he tells him, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give you. Amen. Then he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then he takes him by the right hand. And lift him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaped and praised God and jumped all over the place and ran through the, the Solomon's porch there, as they would call it. And all the people saw what was going on. And they all started running to him. And Peter said, why are you looking at us? Right? And he said, as if by our own power or our own holiness, we made this man to walk. He said, it was the name of Jesus and faith in that name. Yes. Now, every believer is in the same position Peter was in when he did that because every believer, every Christian has faith in the name of Jesus and they have the right to use that name. Amen? And so whatever he did with the name, we can do with the name. Now, so we were already up to Acts chapter 3 going into Acts chapter 4. Now, I just was noticing this. We had the promise. We have the power, Acts 2. Acts 3, the proof. And then in 4, we have the punishment. Why? Because the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and those guys didn't like what Peter and John and the disciples were doing. So they decided to take them in and threaten them and do some things to them and all this. And so there was a punishment. And now, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to continue uh, trying to add, you know, the letter P to everything in here. I know, I know it did that. I know it did that up to Acts 4, but I'm, not, I'm, going, I'm going to stop there. I'm not even going to look the rest and try to make it happen. I just, I don't want to do that. But I thought it was kind of interesting that we had the promise, the power, the proof, and now the punishment. So we'll see where Acts 5 goes. Well, Acts 5, the, the primary verse there that I want to take you to first, is it says, And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, you'll notice in Acts chapter 4, they were threatened and then threatened again and threatened over and over again. And they were told, do not preach or teach in this name. That name scared them, right? And, but the d- disciples, they said, whether well, it's right to obey you or to obey God. And then they said, and then the, <laughs> Acts 
5.42 says, And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So they decided it was better to serve God, right? And to follow him. Now, notice too, though, these parts. And daily. Daily means daily. It means every day. Isn't that right? Every day they taught in the temple and house to house. Right? So they had something going on in the temple. Now you have to realize the temple wasn't theirs. It was a Jewish temple. Isn't that right? And they went there and it was like the, the public place. Uh, so they went there, even though they had just been to- told by the leaders of the temple, do not teach or preach in this name. And they went right to the place where those guys were and taught and preached. Right? So it's kind of like, there we go. We're just going to do it anyway, whether you like it or not. Amen? Now notice, okay, and, and look at Acts chapter 6. So again, I'm not going to take you all the way through Acts, through all 28 chapters. Uh, we're just going to cover a couple of them here. But I, w- I want to show you that this is about believers and not about apostles. <clears throat> Acts chapter 6, verse 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there, notice multiplied. In the beginning it says, and they added. They went from adding to multiplication. Amen? How many of you know multiplication is better than adding? Okay, and the the number of the disciples was multiplied. There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. So already there was division in the church. And notice the division was between Greeks and Hebrews. Well, you're taking care of the Hebrews better than you are us Greeks. Now, Now think about this. Because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So they were giving out food, they were helping them, they were taking care of them, going house to house, taking care of people, preaching, teaching. But notice they were doing, they were also feeding people and and they were doing the physical needs also. And the the Grecians said, well, you're not taking care of our widows like you do your widows. So there was a division among them. Verse verse 2, then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reasonable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now notice, they said, um, and and you'll see here, the 12, they call them the 12 at that point. And they said, it's not right that we would stop in the word of God, stop, you know, ministering in the word, and that we should go to serving tables. Now it wasn't because they were, thought themselves too good. It's just a matter of you do what you're best at, and you do what best what, is, what makes best use of your time. And for them, since they had been with Jesus, it was better use for them to spend their time in the ministry of the word and in prayer than it would be to just waiting tables or serving tables as they said. So now notice, <clears throat> see, God is smart. He knows where people are best suited to serve him. See, we look around and we say, well, I was trying not to go there, but I'm going to go there anyway. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm, I might as well just show you. Talk to him. He's the one adding to this stuff. It's just, I was just trying to get through it. And so we're going to go back here. Okay, Acts, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 10. You can, we'll go back to Acts in just a minute. But I want to show you something. In Luke chapter 10, <clears throat> and we're going to go to verse, what is it? 35, I think it is. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm sorry. Uh, we're going to go down to. Well, where do I want to go? Yeah, okay. Go to verse 
37. Nope, 38, sorry. See, I'm cutting it down, I'm trying. Okay, verse 38. Now notice this. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. Now we know this is Martha, whose sister is Mary, whose brother is Lazarus, right? But now notice what this says. She welcomed him into her house. It didn't talk about Mary, uh, Martha, or I'm sorry, Mary and Lazarus. So apparently Martha was the elder. She was the one, it was her house. And you'll see Mary's there. <clears throat> Lazarus is probably there. It doesn't say necessarily at this point. But now think about this. <clears throat> it says she welcomed him into her house. So we know who's in charge there, right? Martha was in charge. Now watch. <clears throat> and it said uh, in verse 39, and she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. And if you go back to the original Greek, this is really good because it actually, when Jesus sat down to teach, he actually sat literally on a floor. And he was sitting, or at most we should say a cushion. He probably had a cushion, but it wasn't like he was sitting up in a chair. He was sitting down very low and sitting on a cushion, because that's what they would use. And they also called them couches sometimes when they were like pallets. <clears throat> and so Jesus is sitting on the floor uh, on a cushion. And it says here, Mary sat at his feet. So she sat on the floor, which is, again, very low, because in, in uh, Eastern cultures and in Asian cultures, uh, you never sit with your head above an elder, right? It's disrespectful. And so you always sit with your head, even if you have to crouch, you will sit down lower so that they are above you, and <clears throat> you never sit with your feet out toward them, toward an elder, because that's disrespectful, and so they had to sit cross-legged and they would sit down, but now she would sit even lower than Jesus. So Jesus is pretty low. <clears throat> and then Mary is even lower than that, sitting at his feet. And actually, um, the, the Greek would say she was sitting next to his feet as if she was sitting beside him, but listening. Then if you read again, <clears throat> going back to the original Greek, this is what stuck with me, was that it said that, now <clears throat> watch what it says. In the King James, it says, um, verse 40, but Martha was cumbered about much serving. And came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. She's sitting right there. <clears throat> and if you read the Greek, it literally says that Martha burst in and taking a position over Jesus. Whoa. Now, that's, that's a little different yeah. from what the King James says, right? Why? Because of the words that are used it lets you know what's going on. So here he is sitting and teaching. Mary is sitting at his feet. There are probably other people there. And then Martha is over here real busy, you know, cooking food, getting everything ready, which is good. But it's not good whenever that becomes primary and you burst in and taking a position over Jesus, looking down on him. And she says, Lord, do you not care? Now, that, that's what I want to focus on here for just a minute. Do you not care? You'd be surprised how many times people accuse Jesus of not caring. Whenever they were, he told them at one point in Mark, okay, well, first let's go ahead and finish this one. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, you are careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. 
In other words, Martha, you're not focused on what's important. Do you get that? I know you're in there cooking and that, you know, she was obviously hospitable. She obviously, that was her love language, you might say. She was doing, you know, deeds to help, that kind of thing. But the problem is when your love language, when you think your love language should be everybody else's love language. Does that make sense? When you think that the way, what you're doing in that sense is most important and everybody else ought to be helping you do that, then there can be an issue, right? But Jesus told her, he said, there's one thing needful and this one thing your sister has chosen and I'm not going to take it away from her. But now notice what she said. Lord, do you not care? Right? Now, again, go with me to Mark. We'll go to Mark chapter 4 just real quick. Mark chapter 4. And, yeah, starting at verse 35. And the same day when the evening was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind. Matter of fact, the the Greek says that this storm was so strong that it was hurricane strength. So this wasn't some little wispy thing. This was hurricane strength winds, all right? And the waves beat into the ship so so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest not that we perish? Do you see that again? Don't you care? Lord, you see us up here. You're back here asleep. I mean, notice how many times people accuse him of not caring. Why? Because he wasn't doing what they wanted him to do. Do you get that? Okay, now twofold here. Number one, this is human in the sense of we have to stop looking at people and thinking that just what we're doing, what God has told us to do in that sense, that what we're doing, that's it. Amen? And many times when we're doing, well, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to do this. Yeah, it is a good thing. But that doesn't mean that what I'm doing over here isn't good. I'm I'm doing my thing, what what God has told me to do, and you're doing your thing, which I hope God has told you to do. But I don't come to you and saying, why are you doing this? And you shouldn't come to me saying, why are you doing that? Do you see what I'm saying? And I'm talking about people in general. We have to get away from the idea of that because basically it comes down to selfishness. That's really what it comes down to. I need help. I need somebody to help. And they do that. Now, but now notice here they both say, don't you care? Now, let's bring it up to today. How many times have people, myself, other people, said, God, don't you care? Don't you see this? Don't you care? Why why don't you do something about this? I've said that before, and I'm assuming that many of you have. But we have to realize when we do that, now think about that. We're talking to love personified, and we're saying, don't you care? Why? Just because he didn't do it the way we thought or by the time we thought or something. But imagine if Jesus had healed Lazarus. Wouldn't have been a dead raising. Isn't that right? 
And, and not that he waited, because by the time he heard about it, he knew by the Spirit that Lazarus was already dead. And when he got there, and it took him about a day and a half roughly to get there, when, by the time he got there, Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. So that means he was dead before Jesus ever even heard about it. And the man went to tell him. So Lazarus had to die after the man left the house and said, Lazarus is sick. By the time the man found him and told him, he was already dead. So then when Jesus goes there, <clears throat> that's why Jesus wasn't in a big hurry. Why? Because he was already dead. Don't need to hurry. If you can raise the dead, you don't have to hurry. Amen? He wasn't in a clock, you know. Well, I got to get there. Oh, after three days, I can't do this. No, he didn't do that. He got there on the fourth day, right? <clears throat> now, I, just, I wanted to emphasize this point and how it was said, because here he says, <clears throat> now watch, he goes on and says in verse, well, they said he was in the back part of the ship asleep on a pillow and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now think about it. If they'd have thought they were going to get uh, scolded, they might have left him sleeping. <clears throat> right? I mean, they could have easily... Because obviously he expected them to do something. He expected them to have faith. He was, I mean, think about this. He's trying to teach them to live like he lived. This is one of the main things, <clears throat> and, and we'll, we'll, we'll go back to Acts now. If you don't get anything else out of this today, get this. Faith decides what the end is going to look like. And then keeps walking until it looks like that. And, and now listen, faith also is not stupid. <clears throat> it's not blind faith. Okay, it's educated faith. In other words, it is you, you know you can trust God. But you're also not stupid if you're walking in faith. Because if you're walking in faith, you're smart enough to know God is trustworthy. <clears throat> but you're not stupid either to think that there's not going to be problems along the way. Why would you think that just because God said something and tells you to do something, that the path is going to open up and there's going to be no rough places, no obstacles, See, we have to realize the obstacles that show up prove our faith. God doesn't do it. Right? If you remember me talking a while back <clears throat> about the, uh, how uh, God left five nations, five kings and five nations for Israel to learn how to fight. Well, God didn't, you know, in other words, what it means is that he said, I'm not going to chase anybody else out. Joshua had died. And so, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Moses had died. They were moving in. And, but now it said that God left these nations there to show Israel so Israel would learn how to fight because none of them knew how to make war. And so those obstacles, the five nations, were there. But now notice it proved that they would walk, it proved that the Israelites would walk with God and trust God to deliver them. Well, so with us, if we're going to walk in faith, you can expect some obstacles. You know, don't... don't <laughs> be in this frame of mind that, oh, it's all going to just be wonderful and, you know, roses and, you know, all that. It's not going to be that way. <clears throat> faith is a fight. And the fight of faith is to keep walking when, when everything's going on. The fight of faith is whenever the wind is blowing and the storm is blowing and all the waves are coming into the boat. The fight of faith is that you have to have the guts to stand up and say, peace, be still. Amen. And now notice, and he said it in front of all of his disciples. 
He didn't say, well, I'm going to go pray about it. Right? And then nothing happened. And then him say, well, that, yeah, that's, God told me nothing's going to happen. So it's all going to be. No, that's not what he did. He stood up and said, peace, be still. He rebuked the wind and he commanded the waves to be still. Right? So there was a, a command there that he gave. And he did it publicly. You know, recently, even in my own life, we've had situations and I've talked about some of them. And some of them, you know, could cause, especially in the middle of everything else going on, me traveling, starting a month-long healing campaign, uh, these things. You know, the enemy tries to throw up stuff. And, you know, as we talked about, we, our lease was up at our house. And the day before I left on the trip to go to Portland, uh, the landlords came over and said, the lease is up and two things are going to happen. We're going to put the house on the market and they're going to try to sell the house. And during, since your lease is up, we're going to raise the rent considerably because it'd be in a month to month type of thing. And they were wanting to show the house and do all this stuff. So, and this is the night before I leave, right? Which means my wife would have to do all of that because I'm going to be gone. So first off, the enemy tries to get me to postpone Gets me to try to stop, not go on the trip. Well, that ain't happening. Amen. Right? And so we're like, nope, this is the way. And I told my wife, I said, this is the way it's going to be. Amen. I said, we're going to keep walking, right? And I said, and, you know, I told her, I said, don't, don't get upset with this. Don't, don't get all entangled. Right. Just watch. They're not going to sell the house. It ain't going to work out. They'll sell it when we move. Amen. When I move out, then they can sell it. Till then, they can't sell it, Right? And so we were, I was turning and everything's going. And then the funny thing is, uh, within a, about a real, real short period of time, uh, every, every, because they showed the house, I think, only like three or four times. <clears throat> and I mean, nothing. No offers, no bids, nothing, nothing. I mean, it's like they walk in, they look around, they walk out. It's like, I don't know what they're seeing, but it's by the Spirit, right? Because I mean, they're, they're like, do not buy, I don't know if there were angels there going, get out of here. I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, they made no offers on the house. And then they, then they came back and told my wife, or I think texted her or something, and said, um, we're taking the house off the market. And y'all can stay and figure things out. Well, we already had plans of moving, but we hadn't moved yet, especially during a month-long conference and all this, all that going on. So just the other night, I was talking to my wife, I said, you know, stop and think a minute. How'd that work out? It worked out exactly the way I said it would. <laughs> Men, do you know how good that felt? <laughs> but it's only because it was in faith, all right? Because <laughs> so, the things I don't say in faith, they don't work out so good. Anyway, but, yes, but, but the whole point is that and it's just like, well, you know, a while back when I kicked the bowling ball. <laughs> that, that testimony has went around the world. <laughs> I'm telling you. Everywhere I go, people go, how's your foot? How, do you, yeah, where's that? You still got that bowling ball? I'm like, no, nah, I went back out there and shot it. <laughs> um, so anyway, <laughs> I didn't, but I couldn't tell it was a bowling ball. It looked like a rubber ball covered with some mud. That's... Anyway, so <clears throat> then my wife got a big kick out of it because my daughter said, didn't he remember? He was the one that rolled the bowling ball down there. <laughs> but it didn't look like a bowling ball. That's my, the whole thing. So anyway, 
But, but then my wife saw my foot on Friday and then she saw it on Saturday. Overnight, literally, God healed it. I mean, completely, totally. I mean, one day it's bruised, black and blue, swollen up the whole bit, looked bad, and the next morning it's gone. Every bit of it, God healed me overnight. Amen? Listen, I'm telling you, your faith will work on anything. You're walking with God. You trust God, whether it's a, a broken foot or whether it's somebody trying to sell the house out from under you and trying to get you to panic and leave and not do what God told you to do or whatever else it is. I'm telling you, you can trust God. And what you say will come to pass if you trust him. It's just that simple. Now, it's, it's not always that simple to walk out. The walking out is just, you just keep walking. You know, with, regardless of all the stuff that was going on around, you just keep walking. You hear people, you hear what they say. You're not ignorant. You know, you don't, you don't just close your ears and den- you're not in denial in that sense. But you just say, I-, I hear you talking, but this is the way it'll be. You know, and you don't even always have to tell them that. You can let them talk and just, you know, smile and go on. And you don't have to argue with them, but you can just walk. But if your faith is in God, your walk is as sure as heaven is sure. And you just keep walking and you just don't stop and you don't back off. And you go, well, you know, what are we going to do instead? You know, what, what are we? No, Mm-mm. this is the way it'll be. Why? Because I didn't have time to deal with that stuff. And I, I get they need to sell the house. I get that. And I'm not trying to hurt them in any way. And I've already said, when we move out, they will sell the house for what they're asking or more. Why? Because it needs to be a blessing to them too. Amen? And so I don't have any problem with that. I want them to be blessed. At the, and, and, you know, well, that's the way it'll be. And so, but the fact is you have to keep walking. And it's, see, th- this is why discipleship is so important. I can stand here and tell you these things and you can hear them. But it's different if you were standing beside me when I set them in my, in my kitchen. And then you see us walk it out. You've got to see somebody walk this out. Well, you don't have to, but it makes it a lot easier. That's why Jesus instituted discipleship. So you could see somebody walk by faith and keep walking. Amen? And probably in a month or two or end of this month or whatever, there's some other testimonies that I will tell you of miracles and things that are happening right now. Right now, as I speak. God is upholding his word and causing things to come to pass. And we'll talk about it at a later time. You say, well, Curry, why not now? Because there's some things that I don't want you to get worried about. (laughs) Okay? Very honestly. Uh, But I shouldn't even say that much. But I'm just saying that you watch. Yeah, yeah, I just can't can't tell you right now. But I will tell you by the end of the month. Uh, some of the things, because then too I will have the proof of it. See, right now it's faith. Right, right. But then I'll have the proof of faith. Then right. I can tell you the testimony, because the testimony is a proof of faith. Amen. And so we will have that for you at the end, right? And then you're going to go, oh, I'm glad you didn't tell me. Anyway, so... Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, you know, ignorance is bliss, you know, if it's not directly related to you. <laughs> so, but now, so we're back in Acts Chapter 6. Now, he says, now look at this. In verse 2, we just read it. 
the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reasonable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, now watch what they're doing. They called the multitude together and they said, Look, we, we hear the murmuring, but we're not going to obey that in that sense. We're not going to do it. But here's what we're going to do. He said, brethren, look out, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report. Now, here's the requirement. Pick seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Three things, right? Honest, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. You're going to pick them. We're going to appoint them. Once you pick them, we'll appoint them. But they have to be full of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that right? Full of the Holy Ghost, honest report, and then also having wisdom. But, now watch, he says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. He said, this is why we're not doing this. Why? Because we're choosing that one thing. Jesus said, there's one thing that's important. Remember that about Mary he said, this was choosing one thing and this is not going to be taken away from her. Well, what are they talking about? That one thing, the ministry of the word, hearing the word, preaching the word in prayer. He said, we're not going to break. So you have to, listen, you have to have focus. And people will try to get you out of your focus. They will try to pull you over here by an emergency. Okay, listen carefully. Somebody else's emergency does not constitute an emergency on your part. Amen? Now, there's times when you need to react to things and take care of them. But it's not everything. It's not every day. And there are things you need to say, I hear what you're saying. I see that. But here's what I got to get done. Here's what is necessary. This thing. Right? I will take care of that or it'll be done, taken care of by the time I get to it, but I'm doing this. And it's like people say, well, can, can you do this? I, I need to know right now. I need to do this right now. Okay, well, if you need it right now, the answer is no, or go do it yourself. But if you give me time to either pray about it or to find out the will of God about it, then the answer may be yes. It may still be no, but it may be yes. But if you need an answer now, the answer is no. Why? Because I'm not going to take a chance on it. Right? I will hear from God first and then I will do it. Now, He says here, and the saying, verse 5, pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. So, right? We assume also had wisdom. And Philip, notice the name Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. So now the multitude picks these seven it. Seven men set them up before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased. Now, notice the word of God wouldn't have increased if the disciples hadn't given themselves to the word of God. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now, notice, who did it? Stephen, right? Not an apostle, a deacon, as we know him today, right? Which means servant, a minister to, to minister to serve somebody. He was, listen, he was picked by the crowd to wait tables. Do you get that? Yes, sir. He was picked by the crowd to wait tables, but because he was full of faith in the Holy Ghost, he did miracles. Do you get that? So no matter where you are right now, now listen, there was a song years ago, somebody used to tell me, this reminds me of you, and that's why it's stuck in my head. There was a song years ago called, in one of the lines in there said, when others may see a shepherd boy, God may see a king. 
Why? Because you can't go by what people say you are. These, this multitude said that Stephen was a deacon. He was a table waiter. God said, no, 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 he's a miracle worker. Do you, do you see the difference? But what was he? Was he an apostle? No, he was a believer, full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen. So if you're full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost, you should, hopefully you should have also some wisdom, but you can work miracles and mighty works. Right? Now watch. It says in verse 9, Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia, and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And now, notice they were disputing because he was working miracles. If you work miracles, you're going to have disputes. Just be ready for it. Amen? Because people can't deny testimonies. Don't get involved in theological debates. Point to the testimony. What do you got to say about that? God did that. Right? Now, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So now there's the wisdom. So we know he had wisdom, right? So, and they could not deny that wisdom. They could not argue against it. Now go to Acts uh, chapter 7, starting in verse 51. Again, I'm trying to go through some of these very quickly. But in 51, here Stephen starts, uh, well, he starts preaching. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Now that's a, man, you talk about a jab. Because, I mean, the, the people he was talking to, that was their thing. That, the circumcision, the, the law, I mean, that was their thing, right? And he said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do you. Now, they would not want to argue that they were resisting the Holy Ghost. In other words, they, weren't, they, they would never want somebody to say, you're resisting the Holy Ghost, right? Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers. And I don't know how he thought this was going to end, right? I mean, that's pretty blunt, right? Who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Well, you got it. Yeah, you got the law, but you didn't keep it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Now, gnashing on him with their teeth, it doesn't mean they ran up and bit him. Okay? I mean, that's, but, but if you have to remember, this is a Middle Eastern book. And if you've ever heard people that were very upset from the Middle East, whenever they start protesting, they make certain sounds... And they call that gnashing of teeth. And it's how they make that, that sound. You, you've heard it, I'm sure, on, on the news and things like that. And so that's what he's talking about because they still do that to this day, right? And then verse 55, but he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost. Notice how many times it says he was full of the Holy Ghost. Looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Now notice, it says that Jesus is seated. But here it says he's standing. Why? He was standing up and giving Stephen an, a standing ovation. He's like, good preaching, Stephen. Way to go. I'll see you soon. <laughs> you preach that good, you're coming. That's what happens, all right? But it said, he said, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. Now, these are grown men. 
can you imagine? They start yelling with a loud voice and stopping their ears. La, 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 we're not listening to you. We're not. Grown men acting like five-year-olds, right? Well, most men still act like five-year-olds. So it doesn't matter. Sorry, I, don't, I don't guess that's that big a surprise, is it? So, but he says here, they stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. I don't think that's a Honda. I don't think they ran over him. Oh. Just kidding. Come I'm here all week, folks. I'm here all week. All right, so. <laughs> now, it says, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Saul watched Stephen get martyred. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this into their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, it doesn't say that they killed him. It says he fell asleep, which we assume they would kill him by the stoning that took place. But it almost sounds as if he just, like Jesus, cried with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Amen. Went right then. Now, it says in Acts chapter 8, just moving right along. And Saul was consenting unto his death, Stephen's death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And we talked about this here in the nine o'clock. And it shows that that persecution caused them to, to go. Now, notice Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But here, everybody gets, nobody had gone out into the world yet. But now a persecution starts and everybody scatters except the apostles. The very ones that he told to go are still staying in Jerusalem. But the word is being spread because they're getting, the people are being spread and they're carrying the word with them. Now think about this, as we said in the nine o'clock. They're getting persecuted because of the word and because of the preaching, like Stephen did, but they're getting persecuted because of preaching in the name of Jesus. And so now they, they, they scatter and where they go, they preach. Now you would think that common sense would tell them if they're going to persecute you for preaching, when you go to another city, don't preach because you're going to start persecution there too. But that didn't stop them. Now, notice, these are everyday believers that had the word of God in them to the point that everywhere they went, they preached. Now, preaching doesn't mean always standing on a street corner or standing behind a pulpit. It means you can preach to a person standing and talking to them at a bus stop you know, waiting for a bus or whatever, meaning that you can proclaim the gospel to a person. One of the problems in the modern church is that believers have no push to actually preach the gospel. They leave that for the professionals. They leave it for the pastor. They leave it for whoever, you know, the teacher that comes in or whatever. They leave it for them. And at best, they bring their friends to church hoping that the pastor will say something that will get their friends saved. That is not Bible. Bible is everything produces after its own kind. So you're supposed to be producing disciples. But if you're not a disciple, then you won't produce disciples. Or we could say if you're not producing disciples, are you a disciple? See, I mean, I'm not trying to make this heavy and harsh and all that kind of stuff. But at some point, the church has to wake up. My goal, my job is not to preach to a crowd every Sunday. That's not what God called me to do. He called me to train, equip, and send out. And to do that, you usually got to gather first. 
But then you have to train and equip. That's why everything I do uh, is, is based on training and equipping and telling you, you can do this. You can do what the Bible says you can do. And then I've gone and done it, and I, I'm a believer. That's what counts. And the reason it works for me is because I believe. Because the promises are for the believers. Amen? Promises aren't for apostles. Now, hopefully the apostle is a believer. But if the apostle isn't believing, it ain't going to work. Believing is what counts. So all you have to be is a believer. Amen? Stephen did wonders and miracles among the people. He was a deacon. He was not an apostle. So, notice, it says in verse 2, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip, here's another deacon. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spoke, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So now you got two deacons doing miracles. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. And there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. Now notice this. He was saying he was something special, but he was using sorcery. So there was power or something happening that people saw, and he made himself into some special one, and they said, this man is the great power of God. Verse 11, and to him they had regard, because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. So that stuff is real. Do you get that? This isn't just superstition. It's real. I can tell you stories about, well, everywhere we've gone, uh, somebody manifest in some way, but not just from the demonic, but also we've had meetings even recently where there were witches in the meetings waiting for us to cast out devils so they could get them because they thought it gave them more power. We've seen that kind of thing. I've seen the effects of witchcraft and sorcery. And when I say I've seen the effects, I've seen what it's done to people that didn't know that they didn't have to allow that to happen to them. I'm talking about Christians because that should not touch a Christian. Now, he says, but now look at verse 12. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Notice when they believed, they were baptized. Then Simon himself believed also. Now, look at this. Here's this sorcerer. He believed. Is that what it says? It says he believed also, right? So he was a believer of what? Philip was preaching. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. Now he's, he got baptized, he's in the, the group, and he comes along with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So now Philip is doing miracles and signs. Philip is there watching, I'm sorry, uh, Simon the sorcerer is there watching. Now watch. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. 
who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, which shows us several things. Number one, because they believed and were baptized, but they had not yet received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which shows us it is a secondary experience or a second experience. You get that? That does not happen when you get born again. There is a second experience that takes place called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, also, notice this. It said um, that they might receive the Holy, Holy Ghost for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, but they had been baptized in the name of Jesus. So when they got baptized, now there are some groups that will tell you when you get baptized, come by the water, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and that's when it's supposed to happen. It, now notice, at this point, they had already been baptized, but he hadn't fallen on them. Now I'm not saying it can't. I'm just saying it is sometimes dangerous to do that especially if you're in water uh, for a person. Now, I'm not talking about the baptism and receiving the baptism, but if you, there are some people that try to cast out devils and they say when they're baptized, they're going to come out, Holy Spirit's going to come on them and those devils are going to leave and they expect that to be a time of manifestation of the Spirit. People can drown doing that. Devils can manifest at a baptism if the person uh, has not already been set free of that. And it can actually cause them to manifest and to drown. Matter of fact, if you go back to what Jesus said about the boy, remember when they brought the boy, Jesus said, how long has this been? He said, uh, from, a, from a youth, from a child. And he said, oftentimes he throws him into the fire and into the water. Why? To try to drown him. He tried to burn him. He tried to drown him. Baptism is not the place to exercise demons. Does that make sense? You need to think about these things. You get people free, you, you get them born again, you get them free, and then you baptize them. And, and or the Holy Spirit can come upon them before or after. We've seen it both ways, right? Now, why am I telling you these things? Because what I'm trying to do is make sure that you have accurate doctrine in every area. Amen? As we go through. So he says here in verse 17, Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. So now notice, this is the time whenever they laid hands on them and the Holy Ghost, the gift of God, the gift of the Spirit was given by the laying on of hands. It was imparted to them by the laying on of hands. This is the only gift that's ever mentioned that you get by the laying on of hands. No mention of the gift of faith, no mention of the gift of working with miracles, none of that comes by the laying on of hands. It comes by you receiving the Holy Spirit and you have power after that the Holy Ghost come upon you. Now to get the Holy Ghost, you can have hands laid upon you and you can receive the Holy Spirit that way. Does that make sense? Everybody, everybody with me so far? Okay. And when Simon, verse 18, when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Now, notice, and I'm not going to go back to this, but I want you to see this very quickly. He's, Simon, the sorcerer, saw something as Philip was preaching. He saw the signs and wonders. But now notice, what he saw had to be more powerful than what he had been doing, or he wouldn't have wanted to change. God's power is always stronger than the devil's. Christians have to stop being afraid of the devil's power and stop being afraid of demons and demonic stuff and cast them out and not play with them, not talk to them, not go into some long diatribe where they're trying to figure out how to do this and how to do that. Nope. 
Tell it to go. Be serious about it. Put your foot down and refuse to allow it to remain. If it starts talking, tell it to shut up and go. End of story, right? No long thing. Don't do a video where you're trying to show how much you can talk to this demon and how much you can get it to talk so you can sell the video, right? You tell it to go. That's a person being tormented while you're playing with it, talking to this thing. Set them free and don't allow any manifestations. Don't allow anything to go on and do not allow it to remain. You have to get serious. You have to put your foot down. You have to decide this is how it'll be and no other. And when you walk in that authority, then the devil will listen. Till then, he ain't going to listen to you because he knows, oh, they, they want to be somebody. I'll help them. I'll talk and I can stay longer. And then they'll end up staying for days because you want to carry this thing on and have videos you can sell. No, the power of God is more impressive when you say a word and they have to go. That will change people. Amen? So he says, give me this gift. I'll give you the money. Give me this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, your money perish with you. Well, that's harsh. Accurate, but harsh. Just, but harsh. Now watch. He says, because you have thought that the gift of God, the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, may be purchased with money. Okay? Uh, This needs to be preached on Christian television. (laughs) Amen? People need to know you cannot purchase the gift of God with money. Okay? He says, you have neither part nor lot in this matter. For your heart is not right in the sight of God. Now, wait a minute. He says, your heart is not right. But he believed and was baptized. Isn't that right? But now notice, listen carefully. (laughs) This is what got Paul Paul riled up. Okay? And if you look, because he was the champion of salvation by faith alone. You know, and then of course, uh, Martin Luther, same thing. But now notice, believing Simon was believing, but his heart wasn't right. And he told him, and Peter said, you may perish with you. You don't, have, you don't have any part in this. In other words, now, but you say, but, but he believed. Well, demons believe. And they ain't saved. So there is believing. Believing is, obviously, you're, you're going to have to believe. But there is more than just believing. Because demons believe and they're not saved. So there has to be something beyond just believing why? Because if it was just believing, then we could call this a mental thing. Where it's even in your mind, we just agree what they usually call mental assent. But there is more than just believing. In other words, here's where, again, I'm, I'm marking out several places where the church has been wrong. Thank you. And we've got to get it straight. You're welcome. But you've got to get it straight. <laughs> Amen. Why? Because it is not about, okay, Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not a psychology. It's not even necessarily just a way of thinking. But there has to be a change. There has to be a a change both in your spirit, in your mind, but it also has to be in your body, has to be in your actions. It has to be in how you live your life. So there is a complete change. And that's, see, we, we take the word born again. You must be born again. Oh, yeah, I got born again. 
Okay, if you got born again, you are a new creature, different from the one before. Therefore, your actions, thoughts, words should all be different than the one before. If your, act, if your life is not different than it was before, you are not a new creation. It is that simple. Why? Because the new creation gets rid of all the old things and puts in all new things, and the new things are from God, and therefore you are going to act godly. And if you have the Holy Spirit, He's the Holy Spirit, not just the Spirit. And so therefore you're going to live holy. So there is a change of life that has to take place. And that is called the new birth. Now, there are many people that are convicted sinners, meaning that they've been convicted of their sin, they know they need to change, and they agree they need to change, but they have never been changed, and therefore they are not saved. But they would claim they're saved. Now you say, well, how could that be? Well, Jesus talked about it. He called them wheat and tares in the church. So there are people in the church. And even Paul talks about it. Peter talks about it. Blemishes in the body. And so there are these aspects. So what I'm saying is this. We make it easy. We, you know, uh, bow your head, close your eyes, raise your hand if you want to receive Jesus. Okay, put that hand down before anybody sees you. And we make it this easy thing. And I'm not saying it's hard in that sense. But what it, the thing is, it's not. It, okay. what, it's easy and it's hard. It's easy in the sense that God does it once you give him permission. But the hard part is sometimes getting you to the position where you are ready to make Jesus Lord. Everybody wants Jesus as Savior. Why? Because nobody wants to go to hell. Well, I really can't say anymore because more and more people uh, in, in church claim there is no hell. Better hope you're right. But the problem is I've studied the Bible, going even back to the original languages, and I'm telling you, there is a hell. And there is a hell to avoid, as they say, and a heaven to gain. Amen? Amen. And it's amazing to me how many people want to do away with the doctrine of hell. And it's like, you know what? I don't care if there's a hell. I ain't going there. If you're worried about it and you want to eliminate it, it's probably because you have some kind of doubt in the back of your mind that you may actually go there. Why? Because if you prove it, according to the word of God, you won't fear it, but you'll know what you're avoiding. But when you die, your spirit will go to the place that it is most like. And so you have to decide if your spirit, which will be shown by your life, whether your spirit is more like God or more like the devil. Because either place, that's where it's going. Now, we have to think about this. Now, I, I, there's so much in the Bible and hopefully you know, we'll get a chance to teach on these things as we go along. But a lot of this stuff I'm going to have to teach and put out as a, like a recording or something because it's not going to get done in a Sunday. You know, even from Sunday to Sunday, there's too much. So there has to be more. Daily, they preached in the temple and house to house. Daily. And we know that Paul didn't preach short messages. He preached deep into the night usually till after midnight and sometimes even on to the next day. Jesus taught for three days pretty much straight. So there's a lot there to be learned. It's easy, it's simple, but there's a lot there. Amen? Amen. So he says here, I got to finish up, yep. He says, Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you have, you have thought that the gift of God may be 
purchased with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore. So now we know he wasn't saved because he still had to repent. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness and pray God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I perceive that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. The bond of iniquity. He was still captive to sin. He was not born again, but he believed. That's, that's the thing I really wanted to mention today. We have to go beyond just saying we believe to the point where we are actually freed, recreated, and living a different life. And when you live, see, there, all the promises in the Bible are to people who have done that. The promises in the, the only promise in the Bible to people who hadn't done that is that Jesus will receive you if you come to him. Beyond that, once you've done these other things, then you become acceptable in the sense or able to receive, I should say, uh, the promises of God. Because we, you know, we're real quick to claim the promises. All the promises are in him, yes, and in him, amen. So be it. That's a promise. It's my promise. It's my promise. Only if you fit the conditions and the conditions. Listen, the Bible is clear. The path that leads to life is narrow. Not broad. The path that leads to destruction is broad. And it says many find their way there. It said many seek to find life and can't find it. Think about that. People that are seeking it but can't find it. Why? How can you seek something but not find it? It's pretty simple. If you're seeking something but you don't want to fulfill the conditions to get it, you will never find it. In other words, you will never have it. And so you have to meet the conditions. There is no such thing, listen carefully, there is no such thing in the Bible as unconditional eternal security. No such thing. Now there is conditional eternal security, but not unconditional. And so we have to meet the conditions that Jesus laid out. And we're going to be going over this because he never promised, okay, I should say it this way, he only promised eternal life to his disciples. People that made him Lord of their life. Not just Savior. He's Savior whether you receive him or not. He won't be your Savior till you receive him. But he's Savior. Why? Because he did what the Savior needed to do. But you have to make him Lord. But until you make him Lord, he's not your Savior. Do, do you understand that? There's nothing in the Bible that says make him Savior. The Bible says that if you call on him and you call him that Jesus is Lord then you get saved is this pretty clear so there is a change of life now listen that, that, that change of life is not hard if you surrender that's, that's the key if you are willing to surrender now getting people to a place where they can surrender that tends to be a little harder because people want to hang on to things and they want to say well if I get saved do I have to give this up or do I have to give that up well, the thing is, once you get saved, you won't even think about the things you gave up. Because life in Christ is that much better. Now, I'm not telling you your life is going to be roses and it's going to be great. Look at the life of the Apostle Paul. His life was not easy. But it was well worth it. Amen? So whatever you do give up, 
And, and listen, we have this idea that, well, whatever you give up, then, you know, Jesus will give you this in, instead, and this will be, you know, he'll give it back or he'll make it better or he'll give you something better. It's not a trade. It's not like, well, Lord, I'll give this up if you'll give me this over here. Okay, let's do that. No, no, no. You give up totally in everything to make him Lord of your life, and then everything he has is yours. But you have to give everything up first. He said you have to give everything up. You have to take up your cross. That means die to everything you think is important. And you have to take on his life. And people say, well, that's not fair. It's not about being fair. It's about what it takes. You know, people say, well, you know, gas is so high. I just don't think it's fair that I have to put gas in my car. I ought to be able to pull up to the water hose and put water in it. And it should run. Okay. Well, yeah, it may not be fair that gas can be high, but cars don't run on water, typically speaking. The ones that did, they bought them all up and you can't get them. So, <laughs> do you, I hope you understand the analogy, though. That we think everything has to be fair. If this was a perfect world, and if Adam had never fallen, everything could be fair. But that didn't happen. So now we're dealing with the effects of it. Now, the the benefits of the future are amazing. The benefits of the future now are amazing. But we're still dealing with a fallen world, which is not fair. Which is why we're here, to be the light that brings fair in. Does that make sense? But to do that, you know, it, it is so much. I always go back to the military. It is so much like the military. When you join the military... They may make a contract with you, but in that contract, it will say that this contract can be changed based on the needs of the military. So even though you got a contract, it's not ironclad. You're still going to do whatever they tell you to do. And whenever you raise your right hand and you make that oath and you get in and now you're a soldier, even though you're standing there in civilian clothes, you're a soldier. If you try to walk out, you're AWOL. You're dessert right then. You're, you're, you're gone. They pick you up. They don't take you to basic. They take you to prison. Why? Because you had a contract and you violated it. But that contract, the the, the point is on this, is that when you join the military, they own you. I mean, they own you, right? And whatever they tell you to do, they're going to shave your head. They're going to give you other clothes to wear. They're going to tell you how to talk, how to walk, how to act. They're going to tell you all this stuff. And you will do it or your life is going to be very hard. And yet, and that's just for a two-year, four-year period, whatever it is you sign up for. But we're talking about eternal life. And yet we think that's the simplest. Oh, oh what do you say? Eternal life? Yeah, I'll take one. Thank you. It's not like that. It is you are giving your life to him. And you're making him Lord of your life. And that means what you say to do, I will do. And don't think he's going to tell you some secret thing when you hadn't even started obeying this. He says, when you get through with this, then you come talk to me. I'll figure out something else for you to do. I don't think you're going to make it. You won't get through it. Amen? Does that make sense? So, now, this morning, we're going to stop right here. First off, if you have never made Jesus Lord of your life, and you say, uh, well, I made him Savior, and I got baptized, but what you're talking about, I've never done that. Okay, if you've never done that, then when you got baptized, you just got wet. You understand? I'm being as blunt as I can. Why? Because I don't want to see any of you 
be lied to. I want to see you be saved and walking with Jesus and knowing that what he has for you, he can get to you. But if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life and you want to do it now, listen, well, I got to think about it. I got No, no, you don't have to think about it. I've already given you all you need to think about. That's all you need to know. From there, you just make the choice. And if you want to make that choice, then do it now. It's an act of your will, of you submitting your will to God and letting him just take over your life. That's first off. That means that you'll go where he says go. You'll say what he says say. You'll do what he says to do. It's just that simple. And a lot of people say, well, I don't, I don't want that. Okay. The Bible talks about that. And he said, uh, Jesus said, when the heir came to take over and came to get a kingdom, and he said, but these people said, we will not have this man to rule over us. That, that's what you're saying. That you won't have this man to rule over you. But you have to bow your knee. And that act of submission tells him that he has control of your life to make your life into something brand new that is actually worth something to this world and that he will keep what you have committed to him. And in this time and day, let me tell you, you need to know that you are committed to him and that he is committed to keeping you. Because things are happening very rapidly. So if you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life and you want to do that right now, let's see your hand. I just want to see your hand first off. Go ahead and put them up. There you go. There you go. Good deal. All right. Next step. Come forward right here. Amen. Amen. Let's give him a hand. Come on. Amen. Come on up. Amen. Come on. Come on. Amen. Thank you, Father. Amen. 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 A total commitment. Amen. Good deal. Good deal. Now listen. Second thing. You've made Jesus Lord of your life, but you have not fulfilled your end of the bargain. You've not kept it. You've been closer to him at other times than you are right now. If that is you, that's called backslidden, but you want to come to him and say, I want to recommit myself because I want to live this life and I want him in it. If that's you, come forward right now. Come on, quick, 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 quick. Clink or take on. Amen. 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 Yeah. Amen. That's right. It's right and it's good. It's right and it's good. Amen. All right. So right now, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these that have chosen to give their hearts and their lives to you. And Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we commit them to you. Father, we say that by this believing and this action of coming forward and even of saying, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life, that the minute they made that decision to make you Lord, instantly they were changed. Right then. And so, Father, we thank you for this. And Father, we will... Keep up our end of this, of what you've commanded us to do, and we will organize a baptism for them. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we also say that as new believers, new followers of you even, uh, that they are connected to you, that even now you fill them with your Holy Spirit to overflowing, that they be free and be filled in the name of Jesus. So, Father, right now, we thank you for new members of your family new members of your family. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for the harvest and for the fruit and for fruit that remains in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. All right. Um, Where is... There he is. I'm looking for you. (laughs) All right. Now, first off, now, how many of you also came and you need healing?
Let me see your hands. Healing, healing. All right? Okay, okay. Well, here's what we're going to do. Uh, Othniel is going to take you to the side, talk with you, give you some information, get some information, and then we'll, those of you that need healing, when we bring the healing line up, we'll put you back in the healing line and pray for you then. All right? Is that good? So if you want to take them, we're going to go that way. Walk this way with them. Walk this way. There we go. God bless you. Listen, we've all had to walk this path, and we've all had to do this. So walk this way. Walk this way. Go with them. Go with them right there. Right over there. He's going to get the information. Now, we've got, uh, yeah, the healing line. So if you need healing in your body right now, you came for healing, you came for me to lay hands on you and pray for you, then I'm going to ask you, let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. Okay. Now, do they have cards yet? They don't have cards today. Okay. Then what we're going to do is we'll get the cards passed out, ministry cards. Okay. And get them passed out. So whenever they get the cards, I'll ask you to raise your hand one more time. And we will uh, get, you, get you to fill out that card and then we'll get you organized to come forward. Right? Yeah. We have been seeing God do some amazing things. I mean, amazing. Tumors disappearing. Uh, vision returning. I mean, just amazing things. And so we are pleased to see what he is still doing. And uh, as you've heard, tomorrow night we're having the, the healing campaign start again, Monday through Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Um, but we are here to serve and to help you. So if you will, yeah, just raise your hand if you need a card. If you need a card, go ahead and raise your hand up so they will know. Keep it up. They'll be there shortly. There you go. A couple more there. A couple more on the front up here. Now, those that have that came forward this morning, born again for just a couple of minutes, and everything I was talking about today, now they are heirs to and have access to. Amen. Amen. That means that they can lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. Amen. Amen. That whatever they believe and have faith in God for will come to pass. It's that easy in the sense and that quick. God doesn't wait to see how well you walk before he gives you power. He gives you power to help you walk better. And that power uh, makes you like Jesus, both in actions and in your life. So... Uh, we thank God for the harvest there. Amen. Amen. All right. So are you filling out the cards? Okay. Do you have the cards filled out? When you have a card filled out, I know it's, there's a little bit on there. Go ahead and hold up your hand. When you have the card ready, just hold the hand up. And as soon as that is ready, then we will start to minister. Father, we just thank you. Your word is true. In the name of Jesus, Father, we just bless you. We thank you for all that you have done, are doing, and shall do in the name of the Father we just thank you for just the past tense of your word that this is done that in the name of Jesus your healing has been accomplished that now in the name of Jesus by the spirit of God we set these people free every aspect spirit, soul and body in the name of Jesus right now complete freedom head to toe those that are not here, that are watching by the internet, we say in the name of Jesus, be healed. Be healed head to toe. 
right now. Every, yes, every symptom and every ailment, I can tell you now, it is of the devil. It is not from God. It doesn't mean you're possessed. It just means the devil has attacked. And so right now in the name of Jesus, I'm telling you by the authority of the name of Jesus, that name above all names, and based on what he has accomplished and who he is, that by his stripes you were healed. And that right now in the name of Jesus, we say be healed in Jesus' name. Right now, right where you are, in the name. Now, whatever it is you couldn't do before, just begin doing it is that simple. I don't have to yell or scream or I don't have to put push behind it. Why? Because it's authority. And it's the authority of the name of Jesus. The authority of the fact that those stripes were already bore for us so that we do not have to bear the sicknesses that they purchased. So in Jesus' name, Father, we thank you. In the name of Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this powerful teaching. For more information about John G. Lake Ministries, you can locate us on the internet at jglm.org or you can call us at 469-209-0946. Until next time, may you be a hearer and doer of the Word of God.